Another week and yet more controversy in Scottish football. This time it's happened in the juniors as Auchinleck Talbot were crowned the final ever champions of the West section last week, despite sitting third in the Premiership. Leaders co-winning Rangers have played nine games more, but lost out on a points per game ratio. Their defender, David Syme, joins us later. Before then, we'll speak to a man who sacrificed his football wage to help his club through the coronavirus crisis. Our guest this week is Stenhouse Muir manager Davy Irons, who must have thought he'd seen it all in football by now. There was a time when he was the Peter Pan of the game as he played on and on and on and on. He's the oldest player to appear in a Scottish Cup match and is combining his latest spell in the dugout with a career as a full-time policeman. But these days, he's possibly more famous for being the dad of BBC Scotland's The Nine Show presenter, Amy Adams. <laughs> we'll speak to him about all of that, and you can rest assured we won't be making a call to end things early. There's also the Down the Divisions decider and a new feature called Inside the Mind. It's time to go Down the Divisions. Yes, it's Gareth Law from the Scottish Sun and New Mains United co-manager Paul Davis here for episode five. The plan as things stand now is to release a new episode every Wednesday. Wherever you're listening, it's great to have you along. Please do get in touch with any football stories from the lower leagues too. If you've got any comments or suggestions, you can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Well, Paul, how's the latest week in the house with no football been for you? Oh, it's a, well, this week's probably been the quickest week, Gareth. I decided to, today to get out of the house and uh, quite apt to get Davy Irons on the show because I've done a, a round Alexander today. I went up to the, the, the football park and actually cut the pitch myself. So uh, 28,895 steps I've got in today. <laughs> and uh, the only sad side to that is... Uh, the vandals have been back and uh, have uh, vandalised the gates into into the club, which is uh, not very good. Well, we've got a copper with us tonight, Paul, so we should be in, in safe hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tonight's guest, not only the nicest guy in Scottish football, but the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. Welcome to the show, Davey. <laughs> I'll agree with one of those, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Many times you've seen the boss now? Oh, just 17 times. 17 and counting. There you go. And counting. I'm a bit concerned with this virus. Um, I've watched them a couple of clips on YouTube. He obviously doesn't die his hair like me, so <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just worried I'll never see him again, but hopefully that's not going to be the case. You mentioned self-isolating. How's it been, Davey? Yeah, it's just like, I'm sure like everybody else, Gareth, it's been difficult. I've been fortunate in that my work gets me out of the house every day, obviously, so... Um, I've not been restricted to staying in around my house. I'm being quite fortunate. My wife, she's working from home, and my, my youngest son, he's he started the apprenticeship, and he's been out every day because he's part of the, the food chain, so so he's working every day as well. So as a family, we're not too bad. My two older kids are up in Glasgow. They're both, you know, Amy, as you've mentioned earlier, she's still working away, but Mr. Lewis, who works at the SFA, he's, he's been furloughed. So, yeah, we've... Just all been affected, just like every other family. Mm. So, but fortunately, none of us have been struck down with the, this horrible virus. And hopefully, your Paul and your family and yourself, Gareth, your family. Hopefully, they've been okay as well. So, it's difficult times, but just keep going. Well, before we chat some more with Davy, we'll start off with the down the divisions decider. 
Uh, neither of us has got one right yet, Paul, so now it's your turn to put down a marker this week. No pressure. Pressure's on, pressure's on. Uh, Davy, join in as well on this one. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we give four clues and we want you to guess the year they took place. So this week's clues are Bonus United won their last Scottish Junior Cup. The first Apple Mac computer went on sale. Is that the one you've got in your house there, Paul? That's the one that's running just now. <laughs> uh, the Grand Hotel in Brighton was bombed. Oh. And Band-Aid's original Do They Know It's Christmas was released and oh. made it to number one, of course. I think I might have this guy. I think mm. I might have it. Davey, do you want to go first? I'm going for 1985. He's done the same to me. <laughs> Is that what you were 1985. Going for? Definitely 85. No, I'm not saying definitely 85, but I need to go with that as well. Yeah. Final yeah. answers? Yep. Right. We'll, uh, we'll come back to that at the end of the oh, show. Oh, keep us waiting. <laughs> you cliffhanger. <laughs> Davy Irons, the Stenhouse Mule Manager, is our guest this week. Uh, I know we've talked about what it's been like for you personally, I guess, as far as the family goes and day-to-day life, Davy. But as a club manager during the coronavirus, how, how's that been for you? Well, it's probably stating the obvious, Gareth. It's been pretty surreal. I remember just before the virus struck, we were due to play Edinburgh City on the Saturday and we got the call on the Friday afternoon saying all games are postponed. At that stage, you thought, oh, it's, we'll be back in a few weeks, but obviously things have really got to grips and we haven't seen, I haven't been back at Stennis Muir since that, that day in the early March. So it's been very diff- It's been very strange. Contact with the players has been limited. Tends to be text messages. Really just checking in on them, see how they are. There's been very little information we can give them because like, like everybody else, we just don't know time scale. We just have no idea when we'll be back. So it's been pretty surreal. There's a massive void in, every, in football fans and coaches, managers, players' lives that there's only so much TV that you can watch, but it doesn't fill the void that football, you know, football's left. So... Yeah, it's, I've had a few calls with the chairman, spoke to members of the committee just to kind of touch base, but it's just a not knowing. Obviously, now the leagues have officially finished, well, the lower leagues, but yep. uh, even then, it still leaves this so-called reconstruction that's in limbo at the moment as well. Nobody seems to know what's going to happen with that. So, yeah, it's, it's just been a strange time, Gareth. David, you've always kind of been one for speaking your mind and... What's been your take on the, the kind of voting saga and how is it kind of affected Stenhouse Muir? To be honest, Paul, you're right. And I just think the whole thing's been an absolute shambles. Scottish football has got a habit of shooting itself in the foot so many times, hasn't it? But, you know, the, the cloak and dagger stuff, the clubs coming out saying they've got inf- Rangers, for example, saying they've got information and Harps coming out and saying this. And the bigger picture for me is that every single club in Scotland, we're all in the same boat. We're all there's no football happening. Let's put all your self-interest to one side and just think what is the best thing for Scottish football, and let's be honest and open about it. As you as you both know well know the lower leagues have don't have much of a say. It's down to the Premiership clubs with the big votes, but from a lower league club's point of view, I think the fact that. You know, the finances was a big thing for clubs. They needed the income. They needed to be able to keep themselves going. 
and I think it's it's just the greed taking over from the top top leagues. You know, they just want more of the pot. And I think Paul, you work in the lower leagues, you know, in the the non leagues, and you I know your club's striving to to move through the different levels. And you only get that with assistance and help and a bit of financial assistance. And just to find the fact that the Premier League clubs just don't want to seem to let that money kind of filter through the lower leagues. Yeah. I just find it I find it really selfish from that point of view. What would you like to see in terms of that, David? Would you like to see the leagues increase or would you like to how how would you how would you see it? I'm not so sure if I'd like to see them increase, Paul, to be honest. I do think there should be the pyramid system, should be more structured. I think that should be better structured. And I know there's issues with the juniors and all that kind of stuff. But I do think we just have to look at England as far as their... I think they've got the this, this system in place. I think the pyramid system in England is really works well. I think it gives ambitious clubs the opportunity to progress through leagues. And I know how much work you've put in at your club. And I know you've got an ambition to try and get through your leagues. I think there's been a recent suggestion of three leagues of 14. I think that would be pretty decent. I think that sounds quite a, a good idea. And I know it's probably appeases Harps and Partick Thistle and Dundee United. and But three leagues of 14, I think, would probably be a good good solution Even to our balance. problems. Yeah. How many players have you got in contract after the summer? Three. Right. Three players. So again, that's an issue as well, Gareth, because obviously we, I can't speak to, well, I can speak to players, but I can't offer them anything. I don't know, you know, I don't know our budget. I don't know when I'm going to be back for training, you know. So you could talk to players and say, would you be interested? And say, ah, yeah, let me know. But when can, you know, I haven't got the answer. So it's like players are always going to keep their options open, which I totally understand. And as I say, I'm sure Stennis Muir are no different. It's known you don't know your budget, so you can't really start to offer players any condi- terms and conditions. So it's a it's a strange time. I've never obviously never experienced anything like this before ever. I really feel that there's an opportunity here to to make Scottish football more exciting. I don't think there'll be as many dead rubbers as playing each other four times. I know, I know for a fact players and managers get bored with playing each other literally you play every team every five or six weeks is that good for the game I don't think so and I know it's a difficult uh, situation for everybody but that's what I go back to what I said earlier about if people just put their own self-interest to one side and think what is the best solution for the whole game uh, and be open and honest there's an opportunity here for us to really develop the game I think you kind of came out quite early and said that, or the club came out early and said that you decided to hand your wage packet back, the millions that you get paid. Uh, <laughs> um, I think you said that it was partly because of what the club had done for you. Can maybe elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, at the time when it, all this came, you know, all this started kicking in and I just felt it was the right thing to do, Gareth. I think morally, I wasn't training. I've not been travelling to the club. I'm not doing anything. You know, I know I'm on the phone quite a bit, but I'm actually physically not doing anything for the club because my location down in Dumfries, I can't even get up to kind of help with the community initiative that they've been doing with trying to support the local local community with the vulnerable groups. So I just felt morally it was it was the right thing to do, and I understand the financial situation that all the kind of part-time clubs are in so 
So I organised Securicor and to come and get my my wage and take it up in an instalment. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, it's just as I say, I, I totally understand. Everybody, I'm not saying everybody should follow suit. I just felt, from my own perspective, I felt the club gave me an opportunity. I'd been out of the senior game for a few years. I got a call out the blue to help Stennis Muir kind of October time, and I won off at the time, but obviously that transpired that I eventually got the, the job again but it was something I never thought I'd get another opportunity in so the fact that club gave me that opportunity I just felt the least I can do was give them you know pay back my salary at this time to help the club when it's in the you know in the time I need. Davey you obviously uh, had a successful period the first time round at Stenhouse Muir and you obviously left because of uh, work commitments and obviously commuting from Dumfries and getting to train is quite difficult. How are you finding that now, being back, being back at the Stenhouse Muir? It's, my, my circumstances have changed slightly, Paul. I'm still in the police, but now I'm I'm in the role of a schools officer. So my, basically, my shifts are Monday to Friday, which obviously makes my weekends my own, and I can now commit to getting back into football. And prior to been in the school role, I was my shifts pattern meant I would have to miss maybe every third Saturday, and I just didn't feel that that was right for a manager of a football club not to be there. But as I say now, I'm, I'm fortunate that my shifts allow me to to be there every night for training and every game. So it's worked out really well, Paul. And uh, I still obviously get the travel to do, but I don't mind that at all. It's something you get used to, as you know yourself. You get used to travelling about and. It becomes part of your preparation and your thinking time and de-stressing and organising and making your phone calls. And so, no, it's, it's worked out perfect. Couldn't have come at a better time, to be honest, Paul. One of the one of the roles I always, when I think of you, Davey, is you're dead and you're talking about your thinking time travelling to the games. I've been along a couple of these training sessions. You've allowed me to come along over the years and, and, and see how things, how meticulous you are when, when you're training. I always thought, a bigger club uh, would have a role for you, Davy, where you would oversee all the coaching because you're, you're fantastic coach. Is that something you've ever looked at? I just always remember going up and seeing a session that you'd done and it was like getting the back to dead simple, being first on the turn and stuff like that and, and watching that and thinking to myself, do you know what, Davy's put a session on round about that, working with your back, your back four, and particularly your two centre-halves. But I always thought, as a coach, you could have went maybe to a bigger club and, and, and overseen that. Is that something that ever appealed to you? It did, Paul, and it's just probably opportunities and circumstances. And I think the biggest thing is opportunities. And if I'm being honest, I probably suffered, took it badly when I lost my job at Morton um, all these years ago. And I had real dent in my confidence, and it affected me. And although I got back into the game eventually it was it really did knock me for a while and as I say I probably felt at that time I maybe didn't have I didn't belong at the kind of top top end of the football tables and I've looked at it and I actually really enjoy helping younger coaches and at one stage you know I did feel that that could be a role for me just overseeing coaches and helping them and not a director of football because I mean I'm not a man for a title but I just thought it might be an opportunity to just help coaches and help develop them and just give them the benefit. Because you know, Paul, yourself, it's football is so much about experiences and 
what you learn from other people and and I just I'd like to be able to share that whether it's of any value to anyone that's not for me to say but I would like to have had that chance to maybe develop younger coaches. Your chairman Ian McMenemy has been quite outspoken about everything we've talked so far about the the restructuring and so on and I think he's got a, a column in a newspaper now as well what's your relationship like with him? He's been brilliant Gareth he's been along with the rest of the board I must admit they've been so supportive they've worked really hard to try and back everything that I've asked from from them and yeah they'll, they'll question you but at the end of the day they, they've stood up and be counted and they've given me the full backing because I had to make a number of changes when I first went in change the squad round and they, they worked really really hard to try and support me and I know Paul obviously you're part of a committee and a group that, that look after new mains and and I'm sure you're in the same boat, your manager and your coaches, it's the people in the board and the committees. If everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet, you've got a chance as a club. Yeah. You know, and that for me is the biggest thing. We worked at clubs where there's, you just know there's factions and there's people not really pulling in the same direction. And there's, that isn't a recipe for success at all. Yeah, we, we've kind of yeah. tried to keep it small and tight and there's maybe only four or five of us and I'm co-manager, which, again, mm-hmm. that's, I spoke about this last week, and I know Kevin McGoldrick's with yourself, isn't he? Yeah, How important yeah. it is to have somebody like Craig Gutwell, who's with me. Like, I, I honestly don't know how people do it, and you certainly need that support round about, even if it's just a different voice at training on times. It's, it's something different, isn't it? Absolutely. It's just somebody to bounce ideas off, Paul, somebody to talk to, you know, just talk through things. Sometimes you, they don't even need to say anything, but just to listen and Maybe I'll let you shout off, you know, let off a bit of steam or whatever, but just someone that's there for you, understands, knows how you work as well. Yeah. That's really important. And, okay, question what you're doing, but as long as they back you, that's the main thing. Obviously, you touched on Green at Morton. I remember chatting to you after, after all that uh, in 2009. What made you pull the jersey back on and go and play, play with Thrive? <laughs> Desperation, I think, Paul. <laughs> Fuck, it was, you know, at that stage in my life, it was the first time I'd been, the first time I hadn't been working since I left school and went to uni and I'd worked virtually every day. I hadn't been unemployed, but when I lost my job at Morton, it was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I was lucky enough to get a, a phone call and initially three wanted me to coach, but I think, as I said earlier, I was quite scant, I was quite disillusioned with the coaching and management at that time and I said no I didn't want to do any coaching but I, I wouldn't mind coming and playing and three were like really so <laughs> <laughs> so I went along and I think they were pleasantly surprised that I could still run about a wee bit and uh, it was a release for me Paul it gave me an opportunity to just go and play and forget about you know what had happened at Morton and just just go and enjoy kicking a ball again and uh, I was like going back to your youth just playing and there's Nothing beats playing. How do you go about at Stenhouse Muir kind of looking for your players? And it must be difficult. We're obviously down the divisions. Do you ever look down the divisions and look for players in the junior ranks? Yeah, definitely, Paul. I think take my own career, for instance. I, I played junior when I was at university and I knew and I got my breakthrough from Air United coming and watch me in the juniors. So 
I've known from that day onwards is, there's a lot of good players playing at a lower level and sometimes it's just about the opportunity. We've got a bit of a kind of, I'm not saying it's a recruitment group, but we've got a, a small number of people at the club at Stennis Muir that do cover different levels, cover the, the Lowland League, we cover the Junior Leagues, you know, we get recommendations and we'll follow up and we've got a database of quite a number of players that we've watched that are they the right type and we'll maybe look at them again we'll get somebody else different to go and watch them so we're actually trying to put together a proper base a database of players from the lower levels that we feel could maybe step up you mentioned earlier Davey about the scheme that Stenhouse Muir has got running up in the local community I know you're down in Dumfries but that seemed to be quite an early call from the club how has that been working out it's been really, it's been pretty decent as far as I'm aware, Gareth. In fact, I think, um, and I know it's maybe not a complete measure, but the number of shares that Stennis Muir have sold over this period of time has gone through the roof. And I'm not saying that's as a result of what they've done, but I do think it's been a big part of the community initiative that the club have put in place. I know maybe three or four years ago, Stennis Muir were on their knees. Um, but they've really they've restructured. They've you know they've gone about it in the right way. They've got people in to get advice from, and they've pitched themselves at a level that they feel they can now operate on. In and they've got community coaches working. Obviously, the schools are closed just now, but they've got a couple of full-time community coaches. They've got a huge number of kids playing in the you know in the community initiative. So. It's probably been a positive for the club in the fact that there's been so much in terms of contributions towards buying shares from the local community, as a probably as a thanks to what Stennismere have actually done. So I take my hat off to them. It's been a lot of work. The chairman, Jamie Swinney, the chief exec, Margaret Kirkpatrick, who unfortunately lost her husband through the coronavirus, they've worked tirelessly throughout this. So, you know, great credit to the club for what they've done. Well, while discussions and recriminations continue in the SPFL, the juniors haven't been without their issues either. When football was called to a halt, Kilwinning Rangers were sitting top of the West Premiership with 53 points from 25 games. In second spot were Pollock with 42 points from 22 games. That's three less games. Meanwhile, Ockenleck Talbot were third with 41 points from only 16 games. Yet they were the ones awarded the title on a points per game basis. The bots manager Tommy Sloan has said they wouldn't be celebrating. But what about Kilwinning? With us now is their defender, Davy Sign. Davy, thanks for coming on the show. What have you boys down there made of all this? Uh, I think it's a sore one for the club. Obviously, with so many games in hand, obviously that one of the league leads to the kind of the winners or goes into the Scottish Cup. Yeah. Obviously, the senior one, which is a bit of big revenue for clubs like Kilwinning. Auchinleck and Pollock and stuff like that. For me, I think it's a. At the end of the day, I think Talbot were going to win the league. They were motoring on. What we are more thinking about is how they can expect when they've still to get play Auchinleck. They've still to play Pollock, Hurlford, Beave, Arvin Meadow, all away from home on Wednesday nights. And Cowan and Rangers have played every single team in the top half. We've got Kirk and Tillock. It's not played a game. 
twice. We've got them home and away. We've got Ross Vale. We've got Ben Bourbon Troon. I think that's our final games in Auckland Lake. I've still got numerous tough ties away from home on a Wednesday night. I think that's what we are more gutted about because I think we would have won our remaining games in, in towards the end. And it left it a close finish. I think they still would have edged it, but I think it would have been a close finish. It would have been closer than what the average points said anyway. David, I'm managing the juniors and uh, you've got my greatest sympathy. I honestly can't get my head around this. Uh, in our league, Johnson Borough win the league, having played 14 games. Vale are leaving with eight points above them and played 24 games. They said, I got sent all the matrices and how it was working and the average points, but I still can't get my head around how a team that's only played half a season still get to lift the, get to lift the title. Has it been explained to you guys exactly how the, the, the point systems worked? No, not at all. We found out from Twitter. So it was just a case of it come up that you've not won the league? Just randomly, as JFA put, oh, congratulations, Auchinleck, congratulations, joint winners, which joint if it's average points it's average points uh, obviously Dar will lose out and Blantyre win uh, it's just bizarre so they think the SF JFA can just say right oh well that's too close to go so we'll just get a joint if they're going to be who wins average points it's who wins average points so did, did goals or anything come into as I say I get sent two matrices it was a home matrix and an away matrix and for my team personally we've We've won. We went up one place through through it, but we had three games in hands on the team anyway. We, we would have thought we would have finished in that position. Davy Irons, I'll bring Davy Irons in on this because although it's a kind of freak situation that we're in, if, if you ever seen anything like this where things are decided in average points but not explained to the teams? No, I feel for you, Dave. Um, sympathy goes out to yourself and your club. For, we, we've spoken about it. My work and away from work with various people. Well, it's to say, Auckland Lake don't get two or three players sent off in their first game. You know, a game in hand, they've got to play and injuries. So for them to say they're champions with so many games left to play is just, I think it's bizarre and they're very unfair. I think we all know the strengths of Auckland Lake, but you know, surely. Tommy Sloan's an experienced manager, been at the club for years. Surely they can't be happy with the winning the title that way no I, I, I played with Tommy many many years ago at Air United and he's a good guy and he's he's got a tremendous record as a manager and as Davey himself said they possibly would have won it but I think to give them it in this, the circumstances that they have is I'm sure Tommy's I think he actually came out and said he'll not celebrate it but Ultimately, they've still been given the championship, and as Davy says, entry into the Scottish Cup next year is a big thing for for the junior clubs. So it's it's a really it's a hard one to take. Davy, do you know any other Auckland Lake players being down Asia a lot? Davy Simon, I'm talking to you now. Uh, do you know many any of the Auckland Lake players? Have you spoken to any of them? Uh, I know quite a lot of them uh, through kind of pro youth and back in the day. And are what, they embarrassed by this? Nah, no, no, not at all. I wouldn't say embarrassed. I think they're just, well, it is what it is. I think I'm like that also, but what I'm thinking about is, obviously, Quinnan are trying to improve their club stature, improve... The only thing that when I've obviously signed there has been trying to get improvements to the moving ground and try to 
build herself up and with with no real kind of millionaire background guy with sitting there with wads of cash, sitting there, I can do this, I can do that. They're trying to run the gate money and stuff like that, which it's it's incredible. And I and I feel obviously I spoke to a few of the Talbot boys there, no, they're just saying this. It is what it is. I don't even know they've not even been told when they'll get the trophy, when they'll get the medals or whenever it's just been announced that they've won it, not been it's absolutely mental. It's just a bizarre situation. How does it leave you now over the summer? Are you under contract at Kilwinning uh, beyond the summer? Kilwinning have offered me a new contract. Would you, I don't know, a lot of, I can have seen a lot of things in social media about players moving on. Should it be right or would it be right? I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's football at the end of the day, people move on, don't they? But I certainly will be staying at Kilwinning, I think. David, obviously all the junior junior teams are moving next year. What's your take on the new setup? And uh, are you looking forward to coming back under the got well, the senior ranks again? Uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it senior ranks. I think a, a, a lot of clubs are going behind this brand senior. I think you need to earn the senior ranks. Uh, obviously, Cowden Beef and clubs I've been at before they've been at the seniors for many many years. Uh, proving big clubs and clubs that are keep going strong uh, even in difficult times uh, I think some of the junior clubs like Hawk and Lake have got the, the kind of money behind them now to go and progress and back their sell all the way because as you can see in the Scottish Cup ties Hawk and Lake have done their sell no harm and obviously you can see Hawk and Lake against us it's a 0-0 game and it's tight so it only can lead us in good stead. Obviously, I think Auckland and Lake have got a strong 18. We've got a strong 11. Uh, I think we're trying to work on that uh, off the part. So if we bring on part players, we've got to use some of the youth team boys and under-21s to kind of try and boost up our kind of bench and stuff like that. So it's all about building Quinn and Rangers up to becoming a League 2 side eventually. It seemed to be suggested when it was agreed that the juniors would move across to the the west of Scotland, that clubs would keep their, their junior membership because a big thing was the the Junior Cup. And this week, Kilwinning, Kilwinning have joined Clydebank, Darville and Canvas Lang Rangers, I think, in terms of saying, we're leaving the juniors. We, we're, we're no longer a junior club. We're not playing in the Junior Cup. Is that is that to be expected? And, and is that the right way to do it? I think, I, I don't know. Because I know a lot of people in Conan Town and Irving, I stay in Irving, so I know a, a lot of folk take, take the Scottish Cup seriously. And it's a thing that's been there for many, many years. I think it's possibly nearly 100 years, I think, that trophy's been about. Uh, it's been taken really serious. Any other anyway, I think the East have just kind of bypassed that now because obviously the, the West Sides were too strong. I think it'll be heartbreaking for some of the fans to see the Junior Cup go. I think it's going to be more than difficult for Conan to get there in the th- three years with only one player, one team going down in League Two. I found mm. myself in that position when I went and loaned to Cowden Beef. I played in the playoff against East Kilbride with Cowden Beef. We won in penalties, thankfully. It's not a nice thing for clubs like that to get prom- uh, demoted into the Lowland League, but I think it needs to be more. It needs a full restructure. I think obviously Ann Budge is doing it for the top, so I think the full. I mean, the full thing needs a restructure completely because I think one team up, obviously Kelty Hearts, you've got East Kilbride, you've got Spartans, you've got Broader Rangers, you've you've got numerous teams that are desperate 
just to get that one spot. And obviously, if you've only got one spot, only one team can go up per year. So it's and then Auchinleck will be coming in, Cole Winning will be coming in, Pollock's got a huge budget. But I, I, I reckon Auchinleck and Pollock's budget could be bigger than mostly two sides. So I think they, they'll be coming marching up and obviously Kelty Hearts are spending a lot of money as well. I think the votes are to be in today for whether teams are gonna gonna compete in it. From I talk from my own club personally, today we've always had to put in uh, our entry fee for the New West of Scotland League, which is five hundred pounds, and then to be entering into the, the the Scottish Junior Cup and then paying your membership to the Scottish Junior Football Association. I just think a lot of teams will now see as much as I love Scottish Cup Day and the juniors, it's brilliant. There's always something about it. I just think a lot of teams now will kind of discard it a little bit just for the financial implications of it uh, uh, yeah, I think I, I think it's obviously Cohen and uh, Canvas Lang and that's said not I think it'll just be a matter of time before I filter a club's just saying uh, they just can't afford it and we're more focused on the, getting into Ireland and then getting to the real Scottish Cup and when you can get big away days and big home ties and stuff like that I know from uh I played junior with Keller Rovers, Dave, many, many years ago, and uh, they had a decent run in the Junior Cup this year. I think they got to the quarterfinals for they the first time. They beat Everett Meadow. They beat Everett Meadow, so I think it's the first time in, must be, 50-odd years. But So I know the communities that these clubs operate and how important the Junior Cup is, but I think, you know, I think we just have to show faith and put trust into the, those heading up the Scottish game and to get a structure in place that will allow all these kind of clubs to, to get to a level that they can play at, at an, you know, within a, a structure that gives ambitious clubs the opportunity to get through the leagues. Look at Edinburgh City just now, Cove Rangers, you know, they've come through, even Annan, they've all had an opportunity to get into, a, into the senior league and uh, I, think, you know, I think time's right for Scottish football to get a structure that gives every club a chance to progress. Well said, Davey. Just uh, just before we let you go, Davey, um, I know officially you're not the champions, but have you boys been planning a title-winning party for when this is all over? <laughs> uh, no, no. We, we were, obviously, I signed for Quinn last year, the season before this, and we had real strong players. We had a, a real big squad we thought we could take on the full the full of everything, and we had players myself, Carlo Monte, guys. All these boys have played at senior championship level all their days, and were with big budgets, and obviously they were spending big coin, and it, we just faltered. We just absolutely blew up. It, it's just we just looked at each other every Saturday when we get beat. We've absolutely annihilated that team out there and get beat one 0 we're all just looking at each other going, and then we all start arguing and bickering. And it was just a turmoil place. Uh, obviously, I spoke to the guy from this last summer and he said, we're not having that again. He said, I would rather have 10 boys that are working hard and just gritted and determination and just like to play football. And I'd rather have boys in £20 a week that would run, run through a brick wall than other than that. Uh, so, we, so, we, so we did. He changed it all. We kept maybe two or three, and we went for kind of some a couple of amateur players, a couple of boys that go for the seniors, and we just started with all young boys, twenty year old, twenty one, myself, twenty two, 
we've all just young and just try and see where we got and it got us to top of the league. I think I think we've been top of the league since I think it's August, September. I think, and we've remained top all the way through. Uh, we had some big wins away to Paul up one 0 Drew nil nil with Auckland Lake. We've had some big big days, big games which we've turned up in. So it's promising for the future. Does it feel a bit pointless now, though? I mean, there's going to you talk about budgets at a club, and I guess effectively that money's been paid out. And you talked, you started off by mentioning making it into the the Scottish Cup, the Senior that, Scottish Cup. That's a massive. I don't think the money for winning the league's peanuts. I think I think it's a couple of thousand. I don't think it's a lot. I don't think that's bothering Cohen and one bit. I think it's the fact that it's the Scottish Cup. If you win the Premier rounds and then you win the first round, then you can win the second round. You're just that third round. You're just waiting for a big name to come pop out, and then that's you. You're, you've set Auckland like set set for twenty years. They could run for for without anybody putting money in. It's just Hearts, Hearts half gate money, Air United half the gate money. It's just for the last two or three years. It's just for these clubs, a hundred thousand pounds is going to last them. A long, long time. TV, we appreciate you joining us, and I guess it's commiserations in in one sense that you've not won the league, but uh, we appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Uh, I don't think we were. Uh, personally, I don't think Auckland we're going to win, but I think uh, deep down, if we had to all look at ourselves, we we all, even their manager knew. I think if they if they, the way they were going, they were motoring on, they were ruthless, winning two 0 winning three 0 and stuff like that. So they were doing they were doing really well. I appreciate your honesty, Davey. No bother. Thanks a lot. Excellent. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Dave. In other news this week, Darvel have parted company with assistant manager Kevin MacDonald and head coach Stuart Ralston. West of Scotland League new boys Drumchapel United have signed former St Johnston defender Willie Dyer and ex-Rangers youth player Chris Craig. Carnoustie Panmere will follow Hibs in wearing a thank you NHS logo on the front of their away shirts next season. And after a fire destroyed their clubhouse recently, there's been some better news for Bells Hill this week. They've appointed Derek Wilson and Davy Menelaus as their new management team after Robert Snedden's departure last week. Derek and Davy, two guys you know well, Paul? I do. I know I know uh, Davy Menelaus well because he come in... Uh, and done a Davy Irons for us. He came in and played at the age of 41 <laughs> for us for the end of last season and done well. Also, one of our other players who, who come in, uh, Drew Lindsay, he's going to go there as a uh, player coach as well. But they certainly were fantastic at the end of the season for us. And uh, yeah, uh, done, done really well for us. So as we've said, we've got Davy Irons here, Stenhouse Muir's manager, but also a player for how many years, Davy? 26, was it? Ah, take your word for that, Gareth. Uh, probably. <laughs> it, it was. It, it kept changing. It was a fluid number because you just kept coming back. And, and um, I mean, do you know the answer as to why you managed to play for as long as you did? Were you naturally fit? Was it something you you kind of you worked hard at to make sure that you were fit? Bit of both. I think it, looking back, Gareth, it's certainly down to fitness and making choices in early stages of my. My career, I, I didn't drink alcohol, I never touched alcohol. I made sure I was always at the front of the running. I just had this real desire to be as fit as I possibly could because I knew technically, okay, I was had a bit about me, but I was never the best 
but I knew if I was the fittest, I'd have a chance. I think that certainly paid dividends, certainly towards the end of my career, extended it. A wee bit of luck, going to Gretna when they did, extended my playing career in the senior level for another few years, and then obviously going back to Thrive and playing there for a half a season or whatever it was. I've enjoyed every time, every kick of the ball, Gareth, I must admit. I guess guys nowadays, there's quite a few that maybe don't drink during the season. When when you were not drinking, how much peer pressure was there back then to be the, the, the teetotaler amongst all these different squads of, of guys who would enjoy a drink, presumably? That was probably the hardest thing of all. You know, you'd, you'd go out with the lads and you were, you were the weirdo. You were the strange one that didn't drink. I ended up being looking after everybody. You, you were the one that got them home at the end of the night. You were the one that were getting them and getting you out in their car and dropping them off or making sure they get home all right. But oh, we had some great times. And as I say, it was a personal thing. I didn't hold that against anyone that they, they liked to drink. It was just a personal thing that I felt was the right thing for me. It didn't stop me enjoying myself. You know, it's like any bunch of lads, there's, there's all different types and, and groups, but... There was a, certainly a drinking culture in football in the 80s and the 90s, and it was one that, that were, as you said, there was massive pressure, but I stuck to my guns, Gareth, and I think I probably got the rewards for being able to play as long as I did. You got a team of teetotalers at New Mainsport? No. None. <laughs> None. Maybe one. Maybe maybe uh, the goalkeeper. Uh, maybe he's, he's teetotal, but no, the rest of them... Uh, and. <laughs> Oh, football's changed these days and everything's done through a WhatsApp group, Davey, as you well know, and yeah. uh, some of the stuff on has been on WhatsApp through lockdown. Boys are not looking after themselves. However, what we have done, uh, as of from yesterday, we've got them all in the, the GPS and we've got them out and I've set them targets uh, throughout the week. So we've started off nice and easy this week and uh, we'll build that up. So hopefully it'll, it'll keep them off the drink. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned going to Gretna, maybe extending your playing career Davey but I mean when you were there you were more playing at the back but you kind of made your name as a is it more of a sort of a, a roving driving midfielder was that 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 you kind of uh, how you uh, carved your reputation out early on I certainly was a, I played sort of left mid midfield from my senior career when I started at Ayr Clyde Bank through to Dunfermline I was a left midfield player and when I went to Thistle from Dunfermline I went as a midfield player but John Lambie converted me into a sweeper centre back and to his credit I don't know he obviously saw something that nobody else did but he threw me in at Parkhead against Celtic never having played centre back in my life and we beat Celtic 2-1 and the rest history as they say but I think you move but as you get older you tend to move back and yeah, I ended up probably playing behind the goalie <laughs> and you played in that great Thistle uh, 10 and 6 as winning team didn't you <laughs> oh, we did Paul I we won that as well so I think that's the last trophy Thistle won isn't it <laughs> I've seen a picture up on the wall in, in there <laughs> oh, of course uh, uh, we're the holders because I've never had it they've never, never had it since, again since so. <laughs> I mean talking about Gretna I mean so much happened during that that spell, didn't it, from going down there as a player to to leaving as a manager? How how do you look back at that, and where does that period rate in your career? 
Oh, it's up there, Gareth. Absolutely incredible. From the year 2000 and 2002, the first league game right through to 2007-8 season, which ended obviously with the club going bust. But that period of time was incredible. I went on a journey that you were part of. Paul as well was aware of through his dad and Sheldon Gareth coming to the club and covering us at pre-season. And it was just an incredible incredible period in my footballing career and it's one that I look back with a great, great deal of pride. I still say, tell people that we were the only club that got three successive promotions. Rangers couldn't even do it, but Gretna did it. And I know we came in for a lot of flack towards the end and I accept that. Some of it was unjustified. Yeah, ultimately we, we went bust and I think that's what most people were probably expecting to happen anyway, but from a Purely footballing perspective, we had some brilliant days. I mean, I think it's probably the anniversary of the day we won the first division, I think maybe this week. Yeah. Um, to get into the Premier League, to manage the club on that day was special. To manage the club in the Premier League was special. To to be at a Scottish Cup final with Gretna was unbelievable. And Yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful period of, for me personally and, you know, for... Everybody involved in the club at that time, I'm quite sure they'd agree it was something we'll always remember. Obviously, the three has all got a connection with Gretna, so we all kind of kind of know each other. It was a remarkable story, a remarkable journey. But you actually went back there to manage them. Was it in the South of Scotland League? Was it, Davy? Yeah, no, they were in the Lowland League. In the Lowland League. In the Lowland League. I um, I went back there uh, not this season, the season before. Um, I got a call from Stuart Rome, who's kind of run yep. the club now, and. The pool was just too much to say to knock back, Paul. And yeah, I knew it was never going to be the same as it was when I left. But it certainly memories came flooding back when I walked through the, the gates again. But it's a totally different Gretna. It's a club that probably fortunate to be in the lower league at the moment um, with their you know with their finances and this just to be able to attract players now. It's a totally different club to what it was. Brooks Marson was obviously such a big part of that whole story came and went so quickly didn't it do you remember the first time you met him and what you yeah. what you thought what you thought when when you met him because he was such a a random eccentric character wasn't he I remember hearing stories that when I the first I think it was the second season we were in the league and I started to hear stories that there was a guy looking to buy the club and we all thought that'll never happen but then when it did happen and he came in, you know, you know yourself, Paul and Gav, you, you've you've met him. It, it wasn't the kind of figure you would imagine. This <laughs> millionaire. He wasn't. He wasn't a sharp dressed man. With a, <laughs> he had the flash cars, obviously, but um, he was just an incredibly generous, down to earth, ambitious man that just had this passion for his local club. Yeah, we know he wanted Carlisle, but he couldn't. He didn't get them. But he came to Gretna, and he just absolutely loved being around the place. He just loved mixing with the players. He just loved being part of the club. And I remember a comment he made to me. He says, "Some millionaires buy a yacht." I just love being around Gretna Football Club, and he was a yeah eccentric, extremely generous, but very very ambitious. He knew what he wanted. He wanted to get, he wanted to upset Scottish football and get a little club, a village team into the Premier League. That was his goal. 
and that taught me a massive lesson in my life says set goals you know if you don't have goals you just never know what you can achieve Brooks wanted to get Gretna into the Premier League and he did it you know and I take my hat off to him um, and if it wasn't for him obviously the club would never have managed to achieve what it did What was it like you mentioned the anniversary of that win up at Dingwall that took the club up to the Premiership or Premier League as it was known then. What was it like for you on that day? The pressure taking over? <laughs> Describe even, yeah. I don't know, the journey going up the A9, for example. I mean, did you were you feeling a heavy weight on your shoulders? <laughs> did you sleep the night before? It's still quite vivid in my memory, Gareth, to be honest. I think the week before, we could have won it, but we ended up drawing with Clyde at home, which meant the last game of the season was away. I mean, couldn't have got a longer journey, could you? So we went up to Dingwall on the Friday. Looking back, it was quite a relaxed evening in the hotel in Inverness. We stayed in Inverness. The boys were really relaxed. There was a lot of kind of laughing and joking. And at that time, obviously, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just could sense that the players were quite relaxed about it all. On a personal note, it was a strange one. I felt confident. However, I still had this horrible thought that if we don't succeed after being so far in front uh, of St Johnston, it'll be on my shoulders and it'll be my fault. And so I had that kind of milling around my mind. Um, I remember, I think my daughter Amy actually was doing her O levels as well, and it was like. I knew she was getting her cell all worked up about her O levels, and I thought I should be more concerned about Amy's O levels. <laughs> but on the day, it was probably everybody you've probably heard the story that the the bridge across to the Black Isle, unfortunately, someone had threatened to jump off. Fortunately, they didn't. But so there was a bit of traffic delay. I was stuck in it, Davy. You were stuck in it. So <laughs> the game was obviously didn't kick off till about five minutes after three o'clock. With that, St Johnson's obviously their game at Hamilton had kicked off on time, so we can obviously now we looking back it was an advantage because we knew St Johnson's game had finished. That didn't mean to say it meant we had time to score. Obviously we did, but I remember that last few minutes thinking I'd blown it, we've blown it, and then we all know what happens. David Graham picks a ball up from a long diagonal cross and squares it, and James Grady scores, and it's absolutely bedlam after that, and. Although Ross County from centre, they went up the park and nearly scored from <laughs> straight from centre, and it was like, oh my god, what's here? But yeah, we got over the line. Something I'm proud of, I can say, of winning a championship, first division championship. So it was, it was great, great times, it really was. And did you take a drink that night? No, I didn't. No, I, didn't. <laughs> I did. I took the cup home. I took the there you home. Go. Uh, I got the trophy home, and my kids and my wife are waiting on us coming home. And I remember bringing the cup into the house, and the kids were all excited. And we got a picture taken with the cup, but that was that was a highlight. Getting home and seeing the family and seeing how, because they were absolutely up to high do. They still talk about it to this day. And my wife couldn't listen because it wasn't like it was now with Sky Sports updates and stuff it was kind of listening to the radio and you know it's like listening to games on the radio it's just so different isn't it you can't see yeah. you just imagine but but no it was just such a massive relief Paul when we, we won it and although I do remember thinking we've won it but oh my god what have we done this is now now the problems really start 
you know, where do we play next season? What we're going to do in the Premier League? So, and as you know yourself, Paul, being around the club, Gareth, you know, the problems of playing at Fir Park at Motherwell and, you know, relocating up there every second weekend and cutting the budget, you know, because obviously the Brooks was starting to realise that he couldn't sustain this level of support and uh, try to compete in the Premier League with probably the weakest, and no disrespect to the boys that were there, probably the weakest squad Gretna had in the whole time was when they got into the Premier League. Is that just because you lost boys the the following year? Yeah, we lost boys. They were cutting, the the wage bill was getting cut. We lost the likes of boys like Stevie Tosh, David Bingham, Kenny Duker, Kenny Went, Alan Main obviously had gone, Chris Innes. We're, We're losing a lot of Derek Townsley, the cup final squad was literally yeah. that was demolished basically, but that was something that Brooks had told me he had to do. We had to cut the squad and we had to cut the wage bill. So, so the success was quite quickly tinged with a bit of sadness because we had to basically demolish the group of players that got us into the league, the Premier I, League. I think it was never the same as well going up to Fir Park, was it? For the you know Gretna down at Radio was a kind of special place to be. It was completely different from what anybody had done in Scottish football. You know, Brooks had the face painters in and the clowns juggling and all the all the gimmicks, and it was just just in the dugout. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? But he did. He made it. He made it a different, it was a unique place to be and I think it kind of lost that appeal, didn't it? When it kind of went up to Fur Park and there was maybe only a few hundred fans going up to, to watch it. It was a kind of crazy decision. Uh, it did, Paul. I still, I, I'm adamant that we would have got more points if we'd played at radio. No question. Tight ground, it's your home. I think we'd have done, I know we didn't get too many points that year, but I think we'd have got a lot more points if we'd played our home games at radio. How difficult was it at the end when it was all heading towards what eventually happened, I think from memory, did you did you leave just before administration and the axe kind of fell? Yeah, you probably both remember Graham Muir, who was working yeah. at the club. Graham, I still see Graham to this day. We you, we spoke every day as when he was in at the club at Gretna, and he did say to me, he says, "Listen, there's real problems." I says, "I don't know if the wages will get paid." This was from about Christmas time. He says the club's really struggling. He says you need to you need to think seriously about what you're going to do. And this was from just from a purely f- on a friend basis. He was advising me. He says, look, the club's going to go. He says I'm convinced the club's going to go. And uh, I remember starting to tell players, look, you need to go and get a club. I remember Ryan McGuffey and Alan Jenkins both ironically both ended up at Morton. And I remember sitting them down and said, listen, Morton, I've come in for you. You need to go. They didn't want to. But I said, listen, lad, I couldn't tell them for definite what was happening, but I just had to say, listen, the, the club, I thought, we're lucky if it survives, you need to go. So we started getting, trying to get players out the door, but it came a point that I had to look after myself, and I run just pure chance, Jim McAnally resigned at Morton, and I thought, listen, I have to, I have to safeguard my future and my family, and I have to try and get a job. I was lucky enough to get out just before it went under. I feel a wee bit guilty about leaving but because I knew it was going under I thought well if they don't have to give me my salary I'll get getting paid anyway but for what they're saving with me not being there might help as well some of the younger boys but it was going under Gareth you knew you could just tell and I think it was a couple of weeks later they went into administration 
can you remember the last time you saw Brooks? Because I, I I think then he was he was he was ill then, wasn't he? He was ill. He wasn't attending the games then. Yeah. He, he was still texting me every every other couple of days. Even when I went to Morton, he would text me and wish me luck for the games. And because he couldn't speak, he lost his ability to talk. So he he only conversed through text messages. And he was texting me right up to the day the day before he died. He died on the Sunday, I think it was, because he texted me on the Saturday. Good luck for the game. I can't remember who I was playing, but he texted me, and I texted him back, and then I never heard anything. And then word, I got a word through that he died. I went obviously went to his funeral and stuff, but it was it was a, such a sad sad event to lose somebody who'd put so much and given me personally so much in my life opportunities. You know, to to travel to places for pre-season I'd never thought we could ever go to, just to compete at a, a level as a coach and a manager that I've never thought I'd get the chance to do. So got a lot of things to be grateful to Brooks Mileson for. I guess, I mean, we could probably sit here and make the whole show about Gretna so much yeah. happened in that spell. <laughs> but I was wanting to ask you, I know you, you, you're sitting here talking to us, very kind of placid, softly spoken guy. <laughs> what happens when you get in that dugout, Davey? <laughs> Mild man of Clark Kent. <laughs> uh, I don't know actually, guys. I don't know what happens. You tell me. <laughs> well, have, you changed, have you changed over the years? Because uh, I guess when, particularly when we, we talked about the trip to, to Dingwall, so much was riding on, as much as there was a big budget at Gretna, there was a pressure there because of that, wasn't there? And, and did you feel it more then? Do you feel it less now? Have you kind of mellowed or do you still. Do you still kind of do things and then think, why did I do that? <laughs> I'll probably get worse. <laughs> <laughs> My son has warned me. Lewis, who works for SFA, has warned me. He's part of the... <laughs> he obviously gets all the sending-offs and all that stuff sent through. And I think he's he's seen my name come up a few times as manager. <laughs> he's like, Dad, what are you doing? And I must admit, I, I'm probably... I'm getting worse. And I don't know why. <laughs> My wife's warned me, you know if I ever get sent off again, that's it. I probably feel an injustice so many, worse as a coach and a manager than I ever did as a player. My mother warned me growing up, if you ever get sent off, don't ever, you'll, most, you'll never kick a ball again. And I never get sent off in my playing career. Is that so right? I'm making, up, I'm making up for it now. <laughs> I know I have to, I have to control myself and I find it, I have found it, I thought I'd mellow over throughout the years, but I think it's just the injustice of decisions that it goes against you and probably because I'm kicking every ball I probably think I should still be playing that's maybe my problem It's not that as well my, my favourite cry to them is you know my job's hard enough without you because <laughs> some of the decisions you know some of the games we have we've no linesmen either and it's some of the, honestly some of the decisions and I swear like after the game I just feel complaining about referees all the time so I've stopped doing it I only do it when we win now because I just mm. feel as if you're kind of but some of the some of the the refereeing decisions are awful. Oh no, I know it's a hard job, Paul, the refereeing. But you're right. Some of the decisions are just bewildering, and I don't want to be seen to be criticising them. But but I'm they're useless. <laughs> they're not that good. But uh, I've had some run-ins with referees. Some of them I just see. I just don't understand. Some of the, what they're saying and what some of how they come about him around to making decisions that they make. But to answer your question, Gareth, I know I have to I have to try and just calm down a bit. <laughs> but 
if I lose, I maybe if I if I did, I wouldn't be the same. Ah, person it's never, it's never going to happen. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you need, maybe you need a drink. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> before the game. just to finish off I mean we've talked about Gretna going to the wall with the situation now in Scottish football do you look around and I know it's for totally different reasons for reasons that is of nobody's causing but do you see that there's clubs out there who could now be in serious trouble because of this if this goes on as it seems to be going on I think the longer it goes, Gareth, yeah, it possibly could. I know obviously the furlough scheme has helped significantly. I know from my own, take my own club at Stennis Muir, all the staff, players have, have been furloughed. So to that extent, the club aren't paying out salaries, well, 80% of the salaries. Um, so they're managing to, I think the players have taken a 20% pay cut. So their salaries are covered up until the end of their contracts which is 30th of May so I think most clubs will be in the similar position I would think that they should be okay till the 30th of May what happens after that that's that's my concern mm. my chairman has suggested and I know it's only an opinion he doesn't think we'll kick a ball before September if that's the case then you're looking from June, July, August another four months without any income how do you sell season tickets? How do you how do you sell sponsorship? How do you attract sponsorship? You know, when nobody knows the timescales associated with getting back to kicking the ball. So I hope that every club will survive, Gareth. And I mean not just senior level, but right through down Paul's level, right below that to amateur. I've, you see stories like one of the Welsh clubs that went bust. Um, yeah, Real Town, is it? Real Town last week or the week before. So and I think one in an Irish club as well, maybe last week as well. But their clubs are starting to fold, and that's a concern because I hope it's not like a stack of cards when one goes, a few go, you know. But but then you could argue that people are dying. There's 20,000 people in Britain have died in the back of this virus, you know. In the bigger picture, where does football fit in? Probably pretty low down. But we spoke at the start of the conversation tonight. It's, football has left a big void in a lot of people's lives. When that comes back, I don't know. But I know it'll not be the same. I'm quite sure there'll be things that'll be different. But I hope, I sincerely hope, every club manages to get through it. Which brings us on to our new feature, Inside the Mind. Each week, we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Davey, are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm ready, Gareth. Right, we'll start off. Who was your idol as a boy? This might surprise a lot of people, but my idol growing up from a young age was John Gregg. I grew up, I have to admit it now, I grew up as a Ranger supporter. Totally changed now, I must admit, but growing up when I was young, my dad was a, he was a Rangers fan, albeit my granddad played for Celtic in the 1920-something, but he was a Rangers fan, and John Gregg was was my hero. Because of what he was as a player Just and a man. Because he, was, he seemed to be kind of, he was ever Rangers, wasn't he? He was Mr. Rangers in the kind of 60s and 70s. And he was such a such a big character. And, you know, he seemed to be everything that Rangers stood for. He was, you know, he, was, he had such, such a driven person. He was a great footballer. He was a Scottish international. He was strong. He was hard. He was, 
never say die kind of attitude. And I remember watching him playing with a bandage wrapped round his boot. Could he think he'd done his ankle, but he played on and then he Rangers won the European Cup in their cup in nineteen seventy three and he had the, the beard, he wouldn't shave until the bit like yourself, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I um, he he was my hero growing up. You mentioned your granddad there. Was he somebody that you were close to? Did... I never knew him, Gareth. No. And that's probably one, not a regret, because there's nothing I could do about it, but uh, he died before I was even born. But right. my granny showed me lots of cuttings and told me stories about him. And that's one thing I would love to have met him and just to see what he thought about me as a player. Um, but no, I never I never knew him. So What was his name? Peter. Peter Irons. So it was your brother, is it not? Ah, it's my brother. Nice. My brother was named after a nice. So, um, so I was second in line. So I get my. I get, <laughs> you get I the get football ability. Brother, I get my mum's brother. Well, you get the football ability. He get the name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with that, Paul. <laughs> okay, second question. Uh, who was the opponent that you always dreaded facing? Probably, and he's actually an England international. He was an incredible player. Maybe a wee bit underrated, but a guy called Trevor Stephen for Rangers. Ed, I just used to have nightmares. Uh, Trevor Stephen, can you imagine Trevor Stephen and behind him at right back was Gary Stevens? <laughs> My boy, Tiro. Oh, left. Imagine being a left midfield player, Paul, playing against them. It was just, it was like, I just didn't know whether I was coming or going, whether it was New Year or New York. It, <laughs> The pace and the movement was just incredible, and the, the speed. Gary Stevens was just a phenomenal engine. He was up and down all day long, but Trevor Stevens, what a footballer! I mean, he got a massive move to Marseille from Rangers. I think it was something like four million at the time. Probably because of the position I played in on the left of midfield, Trevor Stevens was a, a toughest opponent I ever played against. Right, Paul likes a football strip. What was what was the favourite football top? You wore and why? This might sound a wee bit strange, answer, but it was my the first my school strip for my primary primary team. When I was at primary school, you had to be in primary six or primary seven to get into the team. But they picked I got into the team in P4, and we had this. It was like a yellow, a gold coloured strip with white cuffs and collar, and uh, I remember wearing that for the first time and thinking this is this is everything I ever wanted to be a footballer. I was only P four at the time, but I was playing for the the school team and I, I just get such a thrill from that. So that was the kit that I Good answer. enjoyed being. Uh, who was the best player you played with? A guy called Jerry McCabe. He played for Clyde Bank for many years. He's still playing. I think he's still playing five aside. I think he's a bit 60, but what a player. I played with him at Clyde Bank, and he was the guy he he's he should have played. He, he was due to sign for Hibs, but Jack Steedman, I don't know if you remember the Steedmans, Gareth, but yep. Clyde Bank were run by the Steedmans. And Jack, I mean, he it's probably before his time, he, he was like a director of football, he made all the signings and picked the team and made a coach at the time, Sam Henderson. but Jerry McCabe was unbelievable talented footballer and he was supposed to sign for Hibs but he couldn't agree a deal and I think Jerry ended up playing for Hamilton but oh, his ta- the talent he's just such a wonderful footballer really was so 
either him or I'm going to mention Ray Farming. I'm my best mate, so of course he, he, he was another one. He was a very underrated footballer. Daft as a brush light, but <laughs> he's, he, him and Jerry are the two players that I enjoyed playing with. And just to finish off, what was the best practical joke you saw played as a player? You must have seen the length of time you played, Davey. You must have seen some well, numbers. So you must have got a whole catalogue to choose from here. If it's one I can tell or one that I <laughs> clean ones. <laughs> I, think, I think one of the funniest was uh, actually on John Lambie. Do you remember that, Paul? You, you, you might remember it. Gareth, you, you wouldn't be working up in Scotland at this time, but um, Frank. Am I twenty-one, Davy? Aye, sorry, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Frank McAvenny was coming back to Scotland, and he was going to sign for Thistle. He got his picture taken with a Thistle scarf and all that. It was a, it was like a Mo Johnson scenario. He was going to sign for Thistle, but Celtic basically hijacked him, took him back to to Parkhead. But anyway, it was like. <laughs> We came in the next day to training and John Lambie came in and said, right, let's go. And the boys were weird. We all just sat there and didn't move. And John Lambie went out and nobody moved. He came back in he started swearing, yeah, fin out of here, come on. And one of the lads said, Carford, we're not all here yet, we can't go. He says, right, what's wrong? Who's no here? And uh, Frank's no here yet. <laughs> And he went absolutely mental, <laughs> kicking. <laughs> Maybe not so much a practical joke, but it was just, it was just this. You can just imagine the timing was great, and just the boys sitting, no moving out of the dressing room, and John Lambie couldn't understand why. And then it was like Frank's not here yet, and it was like <laughs> just, it was really, really, it was just a funny moment. Brilliant. Just to finish off, uh, before we let you go, Davey, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you're working in the police now. Was that something that you'd always thought about? Was it something that became an option when you could see that the playing days were eventually coming to an end? Well, believe it or not, I had a start date in January 1987. Sorry, 88 it was. I was due to start in the police. I was playing with Clyde Bank and we'd been in the Premier League, but we're part-time. And then the following, we got relegated. But then that year, we're first division, we're flying. I was, I was probably played the best football my whole life, and I was getting watched by all sorts of clubs. But I just didn't think anything was going to come of it. So I actually applied to join the police in 19, and I had a start date in January 1988. And just before I was due to start, Jack Steedman accepted an offer from Dunfermline for me. So I actually had to go into. Pitt Street in Glasgow where the headquarters of Strathclyde Police used to be and tell the I think it was an inspector that I couldn't take up the position and I remember to this day he's telling me, he says you can always come back to it he says if I totally understand why you want to give it a go so 30 years later <laughs> I went back to it but it's given me a, a lifestyle that probably suits me now it's given me a bit of security which I never really had in football at the level I played and managed that. So I think that's probably the most important reason that I've got into the police. And I love it and really enjoy the job. I've met some really good people, but I think the security aspect is something that at my stage in life is really important. So uh, Surely you get recognised, Davey. I mean, you're, you're nicking oh. somebody on a Saturday night. Surely somebody <laughs> must go, hey, man, here you. you know Amy Irons' dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's turned full circle. Amy used to go out and dumb freeze, and she used to say, 
you're David Andrews' daughter, but now it's t- you're Amy Andrews' dad. But it's, it's, uh, it is, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's quite funny, actually, Paul. My police colleagues call me used to be. The number of, number of folk, you used to be David Irons, did you not? Uh, see me in a police uniform, you used to be David Irons. I still am David Irons, but you used to be. <laughs> it, but it, it's actually quite funny when you go and lift folk and they look at you and say, you, you know David Irons? <laughs> it does uh, ease his attention a wee bit. It uh-huh. at, at times, at times. Did, did you enjoy the job going out on the beat and these kind of things? Did it come quite naturally for you? I do enjoy it, Gareth. It's, I've, I've never woke up and thought, oh, I don't want to go to work. It's a bit like being in football, believe it or not. You're working in a team, you know, you're working with a group of people, you're making decisions, kind of snap decisions. Sometimes you have to think on the move quite a lot. And so it is, it's a bit like being, being in a dressing room. So I think being, I think the football environment certainly helped me adjust to working in the police but no, it's, I, I don't regret joining although I got poached by Carlisle United if I'd only been in the job two years and Carlisle came and asked me to take over the head of youth and I hummed and hawed and I, I think I must have changed my mind about a hundred times but eventually I went to Carlisle lasted a season and, and I was fortunate enough to get taken back on by the police so I think that'll be me there till I retire. And You're actually still on the front line during this aren't you? Yes, I um, out there with the rest of my colleagues just patrolling what is known as V Division, which my area is Moffat and Lockerbie and kind of smaller towns in the Vision Galloway. So um, probably not as um, not as busy as other areas, but um, we're still out there. So uh, it's uh, testing times for every community, but hopefully people will get through this. I've noticed things have looked a bit busier on the roads. I think I said earlier, the roads seem a wee bit busier. There's more people going about. So it's a wee bit concerning that maybe people aren't sticking to the the recommendations. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll get through this. Definitely. Yeah, you mentioned Amy and you mentioned uh, Lewis earlier in the show. The two of them are, in, are involved in, in football in their own ways now. Aye, some folks say Amy talks more sense than I ever did, but <laughs> <laughs> she'll probably agree with that. But um, no, I'm proud of both. Obviously, both of them getting involved in something they enjoy doing. Media, as you know, Gareth, is a difficult business. So they're both fortunate enough to get into the media. Um, Lewis started at Motherwell with media, being a media officer there, and Amy's gone through the newspaper. They're, uh, they're both doing fine and quite ironic that Lewis works for the organisation that keeps <laughs> keeps battering me back with <laughs> getting getting letters to attend at <laughs> hearings for my discipline. But, um, uh, it's quite quite strange, but uh, they're both doing fine. And my youngest one's he's a uh, he's a mad Motherwell fan purely because Lewis was working at Motherwell. So, but either. Uh, They've all got an interest in football. I think they had to really in this household, <laughs> you know. And are you still playing now, Davy? Do you get do you still get the boots on for a five a size game or anything like that? The odd one, not not often. I took a well. I'm saying I took advice from a guy Paul. You remember Mick Wadsworth when he was at Sack me at Hartlepool. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him well. <laughs> I remember him well. Eh? <laughs> 
remember Rick saying to me, you can't coach until you stop running. And I thought, what do you mean by that? But I know a lot of what he said is kind of, I took my pinch of salt, but that one sticks in my mind. It's right enough. When you're coaching, you need to actually stand still and actually observe and look at what's going on. So I get the odd kick about Gareth, but not, not too much, to be honest. And how strong was Mick Wadsworth's handshake? It's the oh. strongest handshake I've ever had in football. <laughs> oh, I, it was, it was a, and if you didn't, if you let it go as well, he's like, <laughs> crush you, didn't you? It's like you had to, you had to stand up to him, didn't you? It was like, right, come on, then, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Just to finish off the show, then we'll uh, we'll give you the answer to this week's down the divisions decider. I'm sure you've been waiting patiently for this one, David. 1985. Uh, confident, right. Paul. Confident. <laughs> right. We'll just uh, remind you of the clues again. Bonus United won their last Scottish Junior Cup. The first Apple Mac computer went on sale. The Grand Hotel in Brighton was bombed, and Band Aid's original "Do They Know It's Christmas" was released and made it to number one. And you both went for 1985. 85. It's 1984. Oh, oh man. Look, we're stunned. Still no, no, we're stunned. Steel's inquiry. I'm sure we have to get my band-aid t-shirt out. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, Davey. Appreciate you coming on episode five and uh, obviously keep up all the good work with the, the police and hope things turn out well for Stenhouse Muir when we eventually get playing. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Yourself, Gareth and Paul, it's good to see you both. Brought back a lot of memories. It's nice to, especially when you're both involved in the Gretna days. Hopefully you'll both stay safe and well, both you and your families. Excellent, you thanks, Davey. Don't forget, you can get in touch at downthedivisions at gmail.com or you can also contact us through Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Do subscribe, download and leave us a review as well. We'll be back next Wednesday for another look down the divisions.